0: In the first verse of that song, it mentions storms. And on, I think it was Wednesday, it was new to us. I'm, you all are into it. I read that there were um, gale force winds, and when I went for a drive to go downtown to get something in the middle of the storm, I saw more whitecaps and high water than I have seen before. So I think when we sing songs that mention storms, we live in an area where we can visually understand that image of how God cares for us. Now, a time in my life when I was in Iraq in 2005, I was having my devotions. Um, and my practice was to, at that point, get down on my knees and read, because at that point I knew I was below. The level of where the sandbags were built up on my trailer to give me added protection. So I'm reading along, and um, I happen to be reading at that that day Genesis 15. Then all of a sudden, because you don't get warning for these things, a what we called a small rocket landed 12 feet from my trailer and exploded. Now, for whatever reason, God gave me the situational awareness to realize that what was hitting the side of my trailer, because they were these trailers that they would bring in that have you know, the metal siding and things like that, that it was rocks from the ground that were hitting my trailer and not shrapnel. And when they came and they examined it, it was like so many of the rockets that came in every day into the place where we were. It wasn't necessarily a dud because it, it had landed. But it had exploded in a way that only blew a hole in the rocket, creating air that then pushed the rocks. And so I thought about this passage of, God says, "Fear not, for I am your shield." And I said, wow, I hope I don't get any closer to a sermon illustration for the rest of my life. Because we are by faith God's adopted children. And the word of our Father secures our future in this uncertain world. And I use the word adoption there because it's something that has been used in understanding this passage at least since the time of John Calvin, when they look at all of salvation, when we look at what God is doing for us in the covenant, because we see God Genesis 12, and now in Genesis 15, and then in 17, and other passages, we see him unveiling what his covenant relationship will be. I think Calvin is right that too often we see only the technical, political side of what covenants were in that time. We don't see a a God who is reaching out to his rebellious creatures, bringing them back in to his family. Notice what he says what, rather, what Abram says, what, what's on his heart. God makes him a promise. But, but listen to his response. But Abram said, O oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childness. The heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, behold, you have given me no offspring a member of my household will be my heir." He heard the promises of God, but he looked around and he says, "I don't have anybody to pass it on to. Who do I pass this blessing on to when I have no children? And see, that's part of the story of why his wife, Sarai, keeps getting mentioned because it seems like she's the one to blame because she's childless. After all, it was Eve. But what does God do in this passage? He comes back in a very wonderful way To say, no, you are going to have children just because you're old. And see, when I look at the age of Abraham in these passages, I have great hope for reaching people of my generation and older generations. That old people can be changed by the word of God, by the spirit of God, as much as young people can be changed. But in this passage, the idea of God becoming our father and then he gives us children, he gives Abraham children to pass on the blessing. Because it's not just to pass on the wealth, it's to pass on the control. But we, like Abraham, Abram, live in an uncertain world. I'll be honest, sometimes I just turn the television off, I stopped looking at my news feeds because it was like, you have got to be kidding God. What kind of a world are we living in? There are people who are facing earthquakes, tsunamis, people who are facing famine, people who are placing political uncertainty, economic uncertainty. There are people in authority that are trying to figure out how do we pay for the things we need to give to our people. Our Father in Heaven secures through His Word and through His Son our secure future. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. See, that certainty starts off in this uncertain world that the Lord proclaims His Word. If you look at the beginning of chapter 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram. That phrase, the word of the Lord came to, is something that will be repeated again and again and again in the Old Testament. That God was a God who revealed himself. That the word of God came to people. It came through visions and angels it came in trances. But God would speak. God would communicate. And we need to realize and remember that whenever we proclaim the gospel, whenever we come to worship, that we use the words that God has given to us. He is there and he is not silent, as Francis Schaefer said. That when we ask people to believe in Jesus Christ, we are asking them to believe in the person of Jesus Christ, And the message that comes through the written word of God. We have these phrases that we use to describe what God does here. This is what we call revelation when God reveals himself when he speaks. Inspiration is when Moses then is able to write it down. Because we have to remember, this is not an autobiography, Abram is not writing down his story. This is Moses. So we look at the layers. We look at what is happening in the narrative in Abram's life. But we also have to remember that God through Moses is writing this down for the people of his generation, those slaves that are going to be freed, that are going to go form a nation, that God's covenant is being fulfilled. The word of the Lord came. And see, that is one of the biggest questions today in, for Christians and culture is most people don't believe that God's word has come. They may be willing to say, well, maybe Jesus came, but we're not sure what Jesus is. How are we sure who Jesus is? We're sure because of the word of God, because of the written word of God, who Jesus Christ is. I remember as fumbling and as inexperienced as I was in the eighth grade when I shared the gospel with a young girl in study hall. That what I had to give to her wasn't intellectual arguments, wasn't the wisdom of the world, but it was a few verses. I've often wondered whatever happened to that young girl who is somebody my age, obviously probably a grandmother and all the things that come with age, but I wonder. I want to give you a passage of scripture again from Romans, from Romans 15 verse 4, where Paul writes, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of scriptures we might have hope. Why do we have the Old Testament? Why do we have the Bible? So we'd have hope. So we would not despair. Because if you let the the news, as opposed to the good news, lighten up your life, you are going to lose hope. But here, in this passage, Whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction. Are we open to be instructed? Are we open to be taught by the word of God? And in those days when we do not have hope, we can go back to the word of God to get our hope. How many people are just giving up and turning inward And today it's so easy to turn inward, you just turn on your screen and you have your own little bubble world. All you see is what you want to see. But these things are written so that we would be instructed and we would have hope. Now, in our world, the Lord says, fear not and secures our future as our reward when he adopts us. Now, I took those words, fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great, very seriously on that day when that rocket landed outside of where I was living. But as I began to look at both the passage and the message, there are two things that I I saw. One is, Chapter 15 comes after chapter 14. What is chapter 14? Chapter 14 is about Abram going out to rescue Lot and a whole bunch of other people. About this migrant shepherd going up against four urban kings. And this is how we know that he had about a thousand people in his clan. He was able to field 318 trained men for war. You give each one of those a wife, you give each one of those a child, and you're almost at a thousand, aren't you? He took his men, he divided them, did what we would come, become known as the pincer movement, attacked from both sides, Won. Hooray! He knew that by winning that battle, he had made a lot of enemies because he was the outsider. He was the migrant shepherd. He wasn't one of those city kings that had all kinds of connections. But notice the other thing that he was fearing. The childlessness, not having an heir. So when he says, fear not... He is addressing something and he's using for the first time, I think it's the first time, that fear not will be repeated. Because in every culture, in every time in history, people are afraid of something. It motivates them. I've told you that you know, my 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 two fears, what I call my twins, the fear of rejection and the fear of failure. God says, fear not. See, today we've already talked about two things that are so practical in people's lives. We are to give hope through the word of God and we are not to be afraid. How many people, young and old, become anxious, become fearful that we can speak the word of God to and begin to show them, fear not, for I am your shield. Now, I asked the question, because I'm in the military, I said, okay, what did Abraham's shield, what would that look like to him? And then Moses in writing it, what would it look like to the people Moses wrote to? A shield in that early Time in history was already what we would come to know as a shield wall. Shields were used together. It wasn't one person standing by themselves, but it was a line of people that would protect their left and their right and their back. The Sumerians, we think, were the first and it moved up around so that by the time Moses was there and the Egyptians, they had shield walls. We know that they developed in the early Greeks, went to the Romans, went to the Vikings, went to the English, the Anglo Saxons. You know, you think of all the people that had shield walls. But you're not alone. See, when God says, I am your shield, he is standing you in line with the rest of your family, with the rest of your people. And he says, fear not. Why do you need a shield in life? Because life can be dangerous. You know, I tell people, I hope that none of your children or grandchildren have to go to war. But I know that some will. But this message of not being afraid in the midst of danger and destruction, because it comes from the word of God, fear is overcome by hope. So whether you're someone who is facing retirement and you wonder, do I have enough money? Do I have enough? Whether you're somebody who's in middle age wondering, will I be able to keep my job? Whether you're somebody in high school, will I? And then you can fill it in the blanks. But to remember as Christians that God says, fear not for I am. Notice that personal relationship and it's the word of God is there to give us hope. Now, the next part is the part that, I will be honest, English Bibles have a hard time translating and communicating what God is saying. Now, in what I have here, I am your shield, your very reward shall be very great. It should be your great reward. I am your reward. See, that's where the part of adoption comes in. And God says, I'm what you get. In our family, we had this weekend posts on Facebook for one of my nieces and her husband who have just been back a month from India where they went to adopt adopt someone. So it was the one month anniversary and it was the anniversary on Samuel's first Birthday. See what he got was parents. I'm your very great reward. It's not in the end it is that your reward is that you have a parent, that you have someone who loves you. Here it is. You have a God who loves you and is committed to you, and will demonstrate that next week. Um, I hope we have Sunday school because next week is kind of bloody in the text of God proving how much he loves us. We'll get to that. But do you hear what God is saying that you're adopted, you're brought into his family, he got you? I mean, do you have family or friends who celebrate gotcha days? The days that the child that is being adopted has been brought into the family. Now, for some of them, it's when they pick them up in Indian. For some of them, in the United States, it's when they go to the courthouse and they the, the judge signs the paper but gotcha day and we're going to talk about a gotcha day in a few minutes for us but hear how this this simple line of promise fear not how do you communicate that to people who live in a culture that promotes fear. And I'm not just talking about political fear, but I'm talking about, you know, I remember when I was a young person and had acne, that I was afraid I would never be acceptable because nothing seemed to work. You know, the creams, the treatments. I mean, I went to doctors, and it's like, you know, because we were told, if you have acne, you'll never have a date. You'll never be accepted. Now, I could probably go to people in secondary school. See, I'm learning the language. (laughs) And say, what do you fear? My generation feared getting drafted to go to Vietnam. One third of my classmates would go to Vietnam because of a lottery. People feared not getting into the college they considered to be the right college. Feared not getting a date at the prom. I don't remember ever hearing a pastor talk about this passage and saying, fear not. See, we've already identified two things that are, that are very practical in our lives, fear and hope. That are connected by the word of God. Now, you know, God's the creator. Remember, he, he made the sun, the moon, the stars. He blessed them. So what does God do to Abram? He says, go out and look at the stars. You can see some of them. You can't see all of them. If indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. This guy that's worried about being childless is brought into God's family through the covenant and said, you're not even going to be able to count. See, I think Samuel brought my mother in what I call her tribe up to 53. You know, that's four kids Then. Their and whatever. So now we're coming up to the last part. We respond with transforming faith when the Lord speaks a promise. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited to him his righteousness. That's what I call the gotcha day. This is when God records what happened in Abraham's life and heart. Abram believed. Do you understand how this verse will affect the rest of history? Because, see, it's showing to those slaves that it's not about status, it's not about money, ultimately, it's not about family. It's do you believe the Lord? Do you believe that He is a revelatory? Do you believe what He said? And this is something that I found out when I was in Iraq and doing my thing. When it says he credited to him, do you know how sophisticated the Sumerian accounting system was? They knew how to move value from one place to another. They could cheap track because what Ur basically was was a trading center where you'd bring in these pots full of of grain and you trade them for pots full of oil or pots full of something else, you move value from one customer to another. So when this sentence is written and he credited it, he understands ultimately for us the value of Christ is transferred to us and our sins are transferred to him, credited. That he uses a marketplace, an economic word to help us understand our salvation. And then he brings in this awesome word. Credited to him as righteousness. See, we know that all our righteousness are filthy rags. Remember what we read from Jeremiah about how deceitful our heart is? That we fool ourselves, we deny things. But yet, Christ's righteousness is able to come to us. Now... I am struck in Scripture how a passage like Genesis 12 last week could be interpreted by a passage in Galatians, and this week, the passage in Genesis 15 is interpreted by what we read from Romans 4. I want to read it again. For if Abraham was justified by works... He has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do more than he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. By the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised him from the dead, our Lord Jesus, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. I want you to feel special today. When it says, but the words that it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. Moses wrote that word, those words in Genesis 15 long ago. And now Paul says they're written for us. They're written for us to understand. I mean, look at the The ideas about what Christ did about our salvation raised him from the dead, delivered to death for our sins, and raised to life for our justification. When I look at this verse, it restores, strengthens, clarifies for me that the covenant produces the gospel, the good news. So, verse six, in some ways, is. the foundation, the cornerstone of that gospel presentation that is represented here. Now, what I want to do in this service is I want to offer anybody who has questions, concerns, doubts, about their relationship with God, about what God did for us for our sins, I want to offer you that you can come and talk to me. I want to make sure you know that you've had a gotcha day, that you've had a day when verse 6 is true of you. You could put your name there and say, believe the Lord, and he credited to him as righteousness. That you have that gotcha day. When God got you, when you heard the truth, when you heard the Word of God, when you can say that He was raised from the dead for my sins, He was delivered up for my trespass and raised for my justification. Do you see how the twin acts of God, you know, when you look at the catechism? Justification is an act of God's free grace. Adoption is an act of God's free grace. They're the twin flip sides of the same coin of faith. This passage introduces us, interestingly enough to me, to justification through adoption. Because God gets us, Because God reaches out and says, Fear not. I am your shield, your very great reward. You're going to have heirs because I'm going to give you heirs. But you're also going to know that you are my heir. In New Testament terms, that means that we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. So in finishing up this sermon, walking away, remember... That God gives us his word to overcome fear. His word contains the promises that he's our shield, our reward. And that through faith, he will credit Christ's righteousness to your life and your sins to his cross. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you for your commitment to us. Father, I pray that everybody here would be able to look to you as father and know that at some point in your life you reached out and there was that gotcha day when the faith was professed and the faith was professed publicly. Jesus, we thank you for the clear invitation you give to us. We pray all these things, Jesus, in your most holy name. Amen.